going on, folks? Welcome to another edition of the Coopcast and a special edition at that. I am really happy that all of you are joining me today, probably from your living rooms because everybody seems to be on some version of a stay-at-home ordinance or even a you know outright quarantine. And that's cool. I appreciate it anyway. If you're at home listening to me or you happen to be able to drive your car anywhere, you listen to this podcast there, or you're actually out on the trails, I appreciate the heck out of each and every one of you. In any case, uh, this edition is going to be extremely special. All of them are special, but this one's even more special. And that is because I have taken the time to curate some questions that I have gathered while I was out at the very few races that happened in the first part of the year, mainly the Black Canyon, as well as the Coopcast hotline, which is 719-357-6394. That's 719 6394. I've gathered these these questions from you all, the listeners, and I have compiled them into a very special listeners question episode. And I'm really psyched for it. I'm going to do this all in one take. It's going to be a little bit different for me as well. So in an effort uh, to kind of temper everybody's expectations a little bit, there's not going to be any editing uh, before or after this. I'm going to do it all in one quite in one shot, and because of that, there's likely to be multiple four-letter words because I just can't help myself. I'm sorry. Hashtag not sorry. That's the first reason I'm really excited about this uh, particular podcast. But the second reason is, as you guys are all very well aware of. This COVID-19 virus is running rampant throughout the country, and one of the outcomes of that is that it has caused a complete shutdown of our economy. And in particular, a lot of small businesses and in the restaurant, retail, and hospitality sector, they're quite frankly going to get creamed. And it's really sad. I know a lot. I've got a lot of athletes and actually friends uh, that I've known for years that are in this sector that they're, you know... They're, they're shit out of luck right now. It's going to be really tragic for them. And so I'm going to break my rule of not doing any ads on this podcast. I'm doing ads for free for some small businesses that have some connection to trail and ultra running throughout this podcast. I'd like to thank none other than Billy Yang for the inspiration uh, to do this, as well as the small businesses that uh, uh, that I reached out to that uh, that have agreed to become a part of this. And so throughout the podcast, I'm going to basically plug the shit out of some of the small businesses that you guys have maybe come to love and enjoy. They're all going to have some tie to trail and ultra running. And uh, what I want for everybody to do as a consequence of that is just go and buy their stuff, help them out. I know that we're all struggling and we are all hurting in some form or fashion from this COVID-19 virus, but if you've got the means, give them some love. And it doesn't have to be the ones that I mentioned here. I hope that this inspires a lot of other people out there to go out and do what you can for the people in our community because many of these small businesses, the race directors, the restaurants, the specialty retail stores, they really are the fabric that uh, keeps us together. And not all of them are going to make it. I really hate to say that, but that is definitely going to be the case. And so we can kind of vote with our dollars here. We can definitely take the bucks that we have left over, the ones that we can spare, and put them into that lo- those lo- uh, local economies. And hopefully they can kind of come out the other side of this. So that's what you're going to hear through this podcast. You're going to hear questions from listeners as they've submitted them either in the van or on the hotline. And you're also going to hear a bunch of ads. So without any further ado, here's this episode of the Coopcast listener questions from all of you guys out there. Okay, here we go. Here is number one, our first question is brought to you by MH Bread and Butter in San Anselmo, California. MH Bread and Butter is owned by ultra runners Nathan and Devin Yanko, and they are both total, complete badasses. Devin, you guys probably know on the trail, she's a total badass. She's also a multiple uh, year Olympic trials qualifier, and her husband Nathan is a freaking hard rock uh, finisher. Holy cow, I think he finished in 36 hours in 2011. Somebody test my memory on that one. 
Anyway, both of them incredibly tied into the trail and ultra running community. Every time I go out to the San Francisco area, I make a pilgrimage to their store in San Anselmo, and I normally do it after some big bomber run out on Mount Tam. My favorite dish that they have is called a shakshuka, and I really hope I pronounce that right. I might not know how to pronounce it, but I get it every single time. It is unbelievable. It's like these two poached eggs in this rustic thick tomato sauce that comes in this bowl and you break the eggs open and the yolk kind of flows out of them for this big meaty hearty you know morsel and chunk of food that you can then shove into your mouth. It comes with this like warm rustic uh what's the type of bread that they use? I think it's called uh country toast that you can use as a spoon to like sop up all that eggy, tomatoey goodness. It's just absolutely freaking wonderful. So if you guys have a chance and you're in that area, either now or in the future, go check them out, MH Bread and Butter in San Anselmo, California. If you don't have the means or you're not going to be in San Francisco area anytime soon, go buy a gift card and send it to somebody in the San Francisco area. That's what I did. I have two coaches that are out there currently. I bought them both gift cards so they can go and buy bread and all different kinds of pastries from Devin and from Nathan and then shove it in their faces and love it. It's just a great air. It's just a great, it's just a great restaurant and it's become rather, rather renowned actually, um, across a lot of the trail and ultra running space. So Go check them out. Their website is, I forgot to look up their website before this. Anyway, just Google MH Bread and Butter and you will find it. You'll find their menu and you will find where to get those gift cards. So check them out, you guys. Here's our first question from Rachel Kelly. I took this in the van at uh, the Black Canyons Ultra while I was out there. And she has a specific question about the aging athletes. So let's take it away, Rachel. My name is Rachel Kelly. I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and my question is about running and the aging athletes, specifically female athletes. I'll be 40 in a few months and would like to hear what you think the most important things are for women to stay healthy and competitive as they enter their 40s and beyond. Thank you for the question, Rachel. First off, if you were just approaching 40, you are not old, not by a freaking long shot. In fact, 40 is like a prime age for ultra running. You have like all this experience that you've built up over the years and you have a depth of training that you can lean on that you've accumulated through not just years, but decades of running and being an athlete, even if you came into ultra running at a later point in your life. So first off, don't think of yourself as old. 40 is not old, but there are specific things that aging athletes and specifically female aging athletes should take into consideration as they get into their 40s and then also in their 50s. The first thing is because of all of the experience and the cumulative amount of training that you have underneath your legs is that you don't have to lean on the really long, slow distance, long runs that you did when you're in your 20s and 30s. And that's because training is chronic and it's chronic over years. And if you've put in a lot of miles, a lot of training volume over decades, you quite frankly, you quite frankly can lean on that less and less and less as you get older. And your body is just quite simply not going to adapt to it as much. So you might as well not even do it. So that's the first thing is that you can absolutely take some volume off of the table when you get into your 40s and 50s as compared to when you were in your 20s and 30s. And the second thing as women approach, and I'm going to broaden this question out from women that are approaching their 40s to women that are approaching their 40s and 50s. As they become perimenopausal or they become menopausal, one of the things that women should absolutely do in those states is start to incorporate really heavy lifting. And uh, Sarah Scazzaro and I talked about this in two previous editions uh, of the Coopcast. And the framework there that we discuss can really apply to the framework that, that uh, you could use for a 40 or 50 year old woman, where you're using very heavy weights, uh, three, uh, three sets of five reps 
over the course of a few months um, in order to get uh, a lot of strength gains. And uh, if anything, if you're not doing that right now as you're approaching 40, it's something that I would would absolutely uh, encourage you to incorporate and specifically to leverage the really heavy, the the really heavy weights and the low rep uh, types of combinations uh, that you can do. So if you have a chance, go back and check out episode 15 and 16 of the Coopcast where Coach Sarah and I uh, talk, uh, talk about uh, that particular aspect. And although the framework that we discussed in that particular podcast is not specific to any age or junior, that the general architecture that we went through specifically in episode 16 would still apply to you. So I would take those two things as like your first pieces of advice is first, not to leverage your long run as much. Second, to incorporate some heavy lifting. And the, th- the third thing is just realize that you're going to need a little bit more recovery particularly after high intensity interval sessions. And with the 40 and 50 year old women that I'm working with, I actually, I still incorporate high intensity intervals. So three minute intervals, half mile intervals, one mile intervals, and things like that. That's still a big proportion of their training. But what I do is I just space out the the recovery from one interval set to the next interval set for, for, so for a 20 year old or a runner that's kind of, that's, uh, uh, for a male runner that's kind of peaking in their thirties or something like that, I might do three of those sessions a week or maybe, uh, six sessions every 15 or 20 days. But for, uh, a female runner in their forties or fifties, I just might space those out. So maybe those high intensity intervals might be, uh, two days uh, per week at the very most. So those are the three, honestly, biggest changes that most women, either approaching their 40s or in their 40s or approaching their 50s will need to take into consideration. We got a lot of women that are actually coming in the sport that are like that. I've uh, taken on a lot of new athletes that fit that exact demographic. So I've had to put a lot of extra time and thought into actually how that programming goes. So thanks for the question, Rachel. Hope that answered it. And uh, let's get on to the next one. All right, not time for the next question, but time for the next ad. I'm going to kick this ad off with a question, though. What do Tony Kapritska, Alex Nichols, and Jared Hazen all have in common? Think about that for one second. Not just being good ultra runners, but what do those three individuals, Tony Kapritska, Alex Nichols, and Jared Hazen all have in common? Think about it for a second. Are you stumped? The answer is they all worked at the Colorado Running Company here in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And that is the basis of the next ad. Colorado Springs Running Company has been here ever since I moved here to Colorado Springs. It was the first running company that uh, that I ran into when I moved here in 2001. And the manager who is still there, John O'Neill, was an absolute godsend for me. He took me under his wing and he really showed me the ropes. He even gave me a, made me kind of feel special and gave me a Colorado Colorado running company uh, singlet uh, that I could wear to uh, all of the, uh, all of the local races. They still do a tremendous job. They hire a lot of the students at Colorado College, a lot of the runners at Colorado College to uh, be the people on the floor uh, for their particular store. And that's how Tony and Alex very specifically uh, started working there. In fact, I always remember this hilarious story of walking into walking into the store, not one, but several times. And Tony very famously is like carving up his shoes in the back to reduce the weight and reduce the drop and make the shoes exactly how he wanted to, how he wanted to fit them, how he, how they wanted to, how he wanted them to fit him. And I remember that very vividly. So this is a store that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, they are doing reduced hours right now uh, because of the COVID-19 virus, but this should not stop us from going there and buying their shit if we can. So check them out at corunco.com. That's corunco.com. And you can see what they've got in stock. 
you can see what shoes might fit you might fit them i think they've also got a gift card option that you can go check out but go check these people out color running running company it is a great store and i've really appreciated their support over the years and their support here in the colorado springs colorado area okay our next question is almost on the opposite side of the spectrum as compared to Rachel and our previous, uh, uh, with our previous question. This is a young man that's wanting to know how he kind of gets involved in the sport and how he can, uh, and how he can kind of like grow up. He's very young. He's from Indiana. So let's hear a little bit about what Russell's question is in terms of getting started as a young athlete in the sport. Hi, Coop. My name is Russell. I'm calling from West Lafayette, Indiana, and I am a 23-year-old college student who is in his second year of running ultras. I just ran my first 50-miler this past weekend, and I have 200-mile races planned for later this year, uh, spaced a couple months apart. And I try to be very uh, careful with how I take care of myself, you know, having a good diet, giving myself adequate amounts of rest, including, you know, time sleeping and just time off the trails and stuff. And I also try to be very cognizant of what my body is saying to me, you know, making sure that I am I'm being careful in the sense of, you know, if I feel like there's a niggle, if I need to take time off, I do that and make sure that I reduce my risk for injury. But I guess my question is for someone like me who's, uh, kind of on the younger side of the sport and just getting into it, do you have any advice for me uh, about things that you should either do or be cognizant of so that I can make sure that by the time I'm 40, I can still run ultra races like this? Uh, <laughs> can't wait to hear from you. From you, Love the podcast. Have a good one. I broke in there a little bit too early because it was just so hilarious when, you know, when you're at the ripe old age of 40, which is younger than I am right now, I hope you are still running Russell. But first off, I think it's awesome that younger people are getting in the sport. I think it speaks to just how much present the sport has in, uh, uh, just in the U S I mean, we see these numbers grow year in and year out and it's awesome to see younger and younger people get in the sport and really take it seriously and also have fun at it. So first off, Russell, just hearing your question from the fact that you're listening to your body, you're listening to when you've got a niggle, when you've got some sort of, when you've got a certain injury and you're backing off, you've got good framework to have a long career and running well past your 40s. So if you just take that, you keep doing that, you keep listening to your body and you back off when your body's telling you too much. And then when your body feels good, you can go a little bit harder, you can do a little bit more. That is such an incredibly valuable and fundamental aspect of being a runner and being an athlete. So continue to develop that. The second thing that I'll urge you to do is to be patient. You have, and I love the fact that you've got this long 20 year lens on right now. You have many years and many miles and many races to do. You don't have to conquer the world all in 2020 or 2021 or 2022 or even 2023. You've got a long time ahead of you and be patient with both the training that you're doing and the racing that you're doing. Don't feel like you have to bite off everything. And that's a big mistake a lot of younger runners make is their eyes just get as wide as saucers and they want to go out and do every single race that uh, that is out there. And I can tell you the ultra running world is littered primarily with uh, elite athletes or athletes that used to be in the sport that have taken this approach of they're just going to race as much as they can for a short period of time. And you know, to each their own, they're absolutely have every right to do that. But if your goal is to have a long running career to the ripe old age of 40 years old, be patient. You've got time. You'll be able to do a ton of awesome things in the years, uh, in the years ahead of you. The third piece of advice that I'll give you is to learn. And the fact that you reached out with a question on this podcast already tells me that once again, you've got good framework for this. The fact that you're intellectually curious enough to give me a call, put yourself out there and have these questions out on the air, keep that up. Ask people in your local running community about how they train. Don't just take one person's word for it. Ask several people. 
Go and read and soak up all of the information that's out there. I Run Far comes out with incredible articles week, week in and week out. Ultra Running Magazine, same thing every month. Killer articles. Soak all of that up. Don't take any one piece of advice as gospel, but combine them all into your own like alchemy of how to actually train. That's not only a good, like a good process to go through, but it's also fun to just learn about how all these things work, how different people think about training and how people approach things like nutrition and recovery and the like. So if you do those things, be patient, learn and listen to your body. You have a whole lot of the tools that you need to be successful for not only the next 20 years, and I know that seems like a long period of time because it's double your life right now, but the 20 years after that, and hopefully the 20 years after that. Thanks for the question, the question Russell. That was awesome. Let's uh, get right into our next one. All right, this next question and the answer is brought to you by none other than Austin Trail Running Company in, you guessed it, Austin, Texas. And if you think about that statement for just one second, it's actually quite amazing. Austin Trail Running Company. I did a book event out there when Training Essentials Essentials for Ultra Running came out and my first thought was, there's a trail running store in Austin, Texas? I could I actually couldn't believe it. And so I had to go and do the event just because I wanted to see I wanted to actually see the store. And what I found was a store that cared about the athletes and the customers that came in it. This is the proverbial small business that is in Austin, Texas. It is a small shop. They do absolutely cater to trail runners. In fact, I just recently learned that it is the only, the only, think about this, the only trail running specific store in the entire great state of Texas. And I am allowed to say the great state of Texas because I am a native Texan. It's the only trail running store in all of Texas. Texas is a really big state and it has a lot of cool running communities. That floored me. The founder and owner, Pam, is amazing. She has been running around like a chicken with her head cut off ever since the store opened, delivering shoes to people's homes. They order it online. She'll load them up in her car and she will make individual uh, deliveries a la Amazon to people's homes. I think that's, that's incredible hustle for a small business. They actually started with just a pop-up store going out to races and just popping up the store, serving the people at the race with equipment and shoes and socks and shirts and bottles and whatever else they had there. And they turned that pop-up store into a viable small business. It is an awesome story. They're still shipping gear and offering race consultations via phone, email, and text, which is really cool. I think it's a really cool service that they offer. So go check them out, buy a gift card, buy any of the other equipment, buy some socks from them, go buy their wares. You can find them at austintrailrunning.com. Appreciate the heck out of what you do for the community, Pam. Okay, this next question, I gotta take a big, big, big breath for this. I'm really excited that I get to answer this question because I get to talk about coaching. A lot of times I get to talk about training. Okay, go do this, run these miles, run those miles, blah, 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 blah. That's 90% of it. But every once in a while, I get to talk about coaching and more specifically the business of coaching. And this is something that um, that I, f- I feel like I have a little bit of domain expertise in because I've been in the business for so long and I've managed coaches and I've helped kind of grow a coaching business. So anytime I get to discuss something like this, I just, I I just love it. So in an effort of full disclosure for everybody, everybody listening out there, this, this might go on for a while because I just absolutely uh, love talking about it. So let's get right into this question 
And the question is from, let's see, who is this from? I, my phone just turned off. Let's see here. Ah, here we go. From Vic, It's from Victoria in Ontario, Canada. Hi, my name is Victoria, and I'm calling from Orangeville, Ontario, Canada. Um, I absolutely love your podcast. Thank you so much for creating it. It's always great information. Um, my question is, I once heard you talk about um, getting into coaching, how people start to get into coaching. Um, you mentioned that it, one of the best ways is to just grab someone and, and ask t- to help them formulate a plan and, and you know, kind of use them as a test subject. Um, I was wondering if you could elaborate on that and tell us a little bit more about how you got into coaching and what's the best way for people who are just loving this and really want to start helping some other people. Thanks so much. You are awesome. <laughs> Thanks for the question, Victoria. You are awesome. And I promise everybody listening, I didn't pick this uh, question out because she buttered me so much, buttered me up so much at the beginning. I actually think this is a really cool question. The first thing is I never mind, I never mind answering this. A lot of people think that I'm going to like hold back some secret sauce or something like that. No, my viewpoint at my viewpoint from a business perspective, and I'm in, and make no doubt about it, I'm in, I'm in the business of coaching. I make 100% of my income from coaching athletes, and I've done so for almost 20 years now. I never mind answering this question because I think that good coaches are good for the business of coaching. The opposite is also true. I think that bad coaches are bad for the business of coaching. So I want good coaches to come into the marketplace. I don't care if they work for CTS or they work on their own. I want good coaches because I want athletes to experience good coaching. So anything that I can do answering these questions or being a part of, uh, being a part of a panel or, or providing continuing education types of materials, uh, to coaches or even consulting with coaches. I actually got an email this morning from Matt Fitzgerald, who many of you will know from his books, such as 80, 20 running or race weight. He's a prolific author. Um, asking me to help him out with an athlete that he's working with that's doing some skyrunning races. I don't mind ever doing that. I've never said no to any of it. Matt doesn't work for us. I don't have to do it. I'm just doing it to help him out so his athlete has a great experience. So I love talking about this because I think it's good. I think it's good for the athletes and it's good for coaching as a whole. As irony would have it, this month's Ultra Running magazine that is going to be hitting people's mailboxes now. I wrote about this. It's about how to make a living being a coach. So go and check that out. So to answer the first part of the question, how did I get into coaching? It was honestly dumb luck. And I don't, I don't know if any of this is going to apply to, you know, what the, uh, because the marketplace is very different now, but I was literally looking to train in a cool place that wasn't central Texas for the summer. And I stumbled upon an internship with a, what was at the small time, a very small company called CTS. And I took that internship up here in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I was actually evaluating between two different internships that I needed uh, to graduate. One of them was here uh, at CTS and the other one was at the Olympic Training Center. For whatever reason, I just like this Colorado Springs area. Um, and I ended up taking an internship at CTS and I kind of fell in love with this thing that we now know is remote based endurance coaching and the rest is really history. But I think the really pertinent piece of that upbringing, um, actually there's two really pertinent pieces. The first of which is I was working with a sport group initially at least with which I had no previous experience. I was a runner in college and I was working primarily with uh, triathletes and cyclists. And because of that, I was forced to learn everything about everything from an outsider's perspective. I could not rely on my own experience to, to guide athletes and to prescribe training and to talk about the sport. And so I had to work very hard to learn about these sports of which I knew nothing about. Certainly I knew all of like the fundamental underpinnings of physiology and things like that. But in terms of the sport itself, I just had a lot of learning to do. The second thing is I had really 
really hard mentors, like just un, you cannot imagine just unbelievably difficult mentors that would just take me to the woodshed every single day. Coop, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. You need to do this differently. What are you thinking with this workout? On and on and on and on and on. And at the time, or at many times during during the early part of my coaching career, that, that was just really frustrating because it was, you know, far more hammer than it was carrot. But I became, uh, but I became to, I came to appreciate that several years later because it just made me good. Uh, it made me really think about why I'm doing what I'm doing, and that I have solid, efficacious training behind me, and that when I have to encounter a new problem, which I was doing all the time, working in two sport groups that uh, that I really didn't have a lot of experience in, when it came time to evaluate new problems, I had good framework to 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 work from. The relevance to that in terms of how I encourage people to get into coaching, and I'm going to step outside of my CTS role and advise somebody who wants to get into coaching that's not necessarily going to come into our company, is first and foremost, I encourage people to have a bachelor's level understanding of exercise physiology. And the reason for that is, is I understand not everybody went to school to get an exercise science degree or an exercise physiology degree. And many people are coming into coaching later in life after a new transition. And in fact, just give me a little aside for one second, because this is quite relevant now with the, with the economic ramifications that are going to inevitably happen with the COVID-19 virus, a lot, a lot of coaches are just going to get pushed out of the marketplace. Just like I talked about at the onset of the podcast where many small businesses in the restaurant, retail and service sector are going to get pushed out. A lot of coaches are going to get pushed out as well, just because their client base is going to, uh, is going to evaporate because of that. And because there's going to be a high unemployment rate, new people are going to come into the marketplace uh, as well. We will definitely see that play out. I saw it play out in the, uh, in the mortgage crisis in 2009, exact same scenario. Economy got really bad. A lot of coaches got pushed out of the marketplace because their client base evaporated and the new coaches came in because they were newly, newly unemployed. So I bet a lot of people are asking the, are going to be asking this very question either because they just want to get into coaching or they're looking at it from an economic point of view, meaning their, their, their job and their income has either wholly or partially evaporated. Back to my earlier point. I think the first thing is, is to get some bachelor's level understanding of exercise physiology or exercise science. Now, if you're in college right now and you want to switch degrees, great, go for it. I think it's awesome. If you're out of school, there are a myriad of different ways that you can do this. And a lot of education platforms are now moving more and more and more online. I'm sure you can go out there and find it. You can take single classes from a lot of universities. There are ways that you can do it, but I encourage people who are coming into coaching to do it at a university level, meaning you're going to get the same education as some snot-nosed 19-year-old that is, you know, sitting in a classroom, uh, fresh out of high school, you're going to get the exact same education. And the reason that I like that delivery mechanism for this initial physiology education is that it puts you on the same level playing field as people who have gone through and gotten that type of education. And what that then enables you to do is you can go out in the lay space and you can look at training articles that people have written. You can go in the research and you can look at research that, uh, that has been written and you have fundamental tools and fundamental framework to draw from to interpret those things correctly. You're not just simply regurgitating what so-and-so or such-and-such did with whoever's plan. You have some physiology taught in a classical manner to actually back that up. And I can tell you with the lens of experience that I have right now, I get enormously frustrated when I look at a lot of the lay publications out there and they are just riddled with very simple vocabulary errors. They don't describe aerobic threshold correctly or running economy. 
And quite frankly, when I look at those things, I just throw them in the trash. At that, at that point, that author now has no basis to stand on if they can't make those fundamental vocabulary or if they, they don't understand the vocabulary in a fundamental way. So that's the first step is get the tools that will help you, that will help better inform you for the, when you read things and when you become educated later, such that you can determine what the good information is and what the bad information is. That's the first piece of it. After you've got or alongside when you're getting that initial education, oh wait, before I go on too far, I would be remiss not to shamelessly plug something else that is coming out uh, in the very near future. I'm actually working on a ultra running certification from USCA. U-E-S-C-A is how you uh, uh, is how the abbreviation goes, and they have started a they have started certifications for endurance coaches cycling, running, triathlon, and ultra running as a subset of running or basically a bolt on to the running certification. And it's really something that's, that, that is unlike anything else out there. And I can say that from firsthand experience, I have had all the major national governing bodies, uh, uh, licenses. I've had a USA cycling coaching license. I've had a USA triathlon coaching license, and I've had, excuse me, a USA track and field coaching license. And at a certain point in my career, I let all of those go because the value of having to renew and recertify those just, just was not very good for me. Now I wouldn't discourage anybody from getting those licenses, but I do think that this new USCA certification is they, they do it right. I've had a chance to review all their cycling triathlon and running uh, certifications and it's spot on. And I'm uh, uh, in the process of de- developing their ultra running certification. So that'll be out uh, maybe about four months time. Um, another reason why I like that is that it's not just a stamp. You don't just take a test online and then that's it. There's a community that's built in on the back end of it where coaches can kind of engage and converse and mentor each other uh, and, and ask questions about what they're, uh, what they're encountering on a day-to-day basis. So there's the first step get educated, get a traditional education. If you think about doing uh, any additional certifications, I would do that after the traditional bachelor's level exercise physiology type of, it, uh, of education. The second thing is to find mentors and coaches that you can go and reference. And this, it, this ultimately, or this at, at very initially, seems very awkward for new coaches that are getting in the space. They think that they're bothering a coach or that, you know, they're taking up too much of their time or whatever. Take time to build up a network of mentors and a network of other coaches that you can lean on for advice and counsel. And even if you guys get together every week to discuss something pertinent in the training space, I think that that is incredibly valuable. That's framework that we use here at CTS. We have a, uh, a group of coaches, our ultra running group is uh, 11 coaches strong right now. And we get together every week to, to, to talk about something. I think that that's an incredibly valuable uh, piece of the whole process that is worth far more than just scouring the internet and scouring Twitter and scouring articles for information and frameworks and thing and things like that. So find other people out there that you think that are doing it, that are doing it well and try to form some sort of network, uh, that you can, uh, that you can actually lean on. The last piece of advice that I would, uh, uh that I would give you is to think about the economic proposition. And that's just reality. You know, if you're doing it for a source of income, you're going to have to value your time. And uh, remote-based endurance coaches at a very fundamental level, they're leveraging their time. Um, and you can only, and you only have so much of it. It's a finite resource. Yeah. You can jerry rig around how you deliver the services. Are you, you know, using a training program and applying it to multiple people? Are you building things from scratch? Are you using Google sheets or are you using final surge? Are you using training peaks? All of those have their, you know, upsides and downsides and things like that. But at a fundamental level, 
you are absolutely leveraging your time and you have to think long and hard about the economic proposition, uh, about what it means to, uh, to, to deliver a service to, to somebody where it's going to chew into your time. Think about that, develop the business model around that and really stick to those principles. I would discourage anybody from trying, from looking at the marketplace and just trying to race to the bottom and be, beat people on price point because there's always going to be another entity, another coach, another solution that looks for a cheaper way to do it. You're never going to win the, the, you're never going to win that proverbial race to the bottom. Look at it from how much you value your own time and then craft the services around there. So that's the advice that I would have for you. I love talking about this stuff. I could probably do a whole episode on the business of coaching. Maybe I'll do that later, but we'll put a pin in that one right there and we will go on to our next question. Okay. Next question's coming up. But before we get to the question, we have to get to the ads. Yes, it's all about the ads on this episode of the Coopcast. This question and the following answer is brought to you by none other than Mad Moose Events. Yes, Mad Moose Events, a race management company that has a lot of events here in Southern Colorado, but also some in New Mexico and Utah, I believe as well. They put, they're put on by husband and wife duo, Justin and Denise Ricks, who are two of the most fantastic people on the face of the planet. And anybody who has been to a Mad Moose event will agree 100% with that statement. I love Justin's events. And I've said numerous times, I get to travel all around the world and see all types of events, Ironman events, cycling events, trail running events, you name it. I love Justin and Denise's events. They are just so fun to go to. They have this like homey vibe about them. You can tell it's put on by a husband and wife. They stick to this ethos of trail running, of keeping it low key and putting a keen focus uh, on the on the athletes that are competing. They have this really cool thing that they do at the end of a lot of their events, not all, but at the end of a lot of their events where they make up this like cheese enchilada dish in this steel pot over a campfire and people just dig into it and put it on a plate afterwards. And it's just so good. I'm talking about food a lot for this podcast. Maybe I'm hungry, but anyway, that's a cool thing that they do for their athletes. They make it themselves. And I also appreciate, well, I appreciate two more things about Justin and Denise. The first thing is, is they bring the whole family into it. Justin's brother helps out. Their kids help out. They're marking the course. The kids are actually really good runners too. Kids help out with marking the course and giving t-shirts and things like that. It's def- it is uh, definitely a, uh, a family affair. And I also appreciate the fact that they keep it real. Like I knew Justin when he had four or five events on the calendar and now he's got like 30 in their road events and trail events in different states. Some of them here in, in Colorado Springs, some of them are Moab. And it's just, it's just been, I really appreciate just the way that he have, that, that he has grown his business. So go ahead and check out Mad Moose Events. I know everybody out there is super trepidatious right now about signing up for events, but they're taking registrations for the fall. They're taking registrations for some events that I have done and I love. If I didn't live in Colorado, I would go to these events. They do two really cool ones in Gunnison, the Behind the Rocks 50 and the Sage Burner. The Sage Burner is actually one of my favorite race starts. It's a really cool design. They're taking registrations for those, and they just happen to manage one of all of Ultra Running's favorite early season races that happens in February every year. It's the Moab Red Hot 55K. It is such a cool race. It's out on this classic Moab Slick Rock. It's hard. It's gnarly. If you catch a toe on the Slick Rock, your penalty for failure is high. It is an awesome race. So go check them out considering plunking down some money for one of their races that are in the fall once the whole fog of this COVID-19 nonsense lifts. Go support Justin and Denise. They're freaking 
awesome people. www.madmooseevents.com is the website. Check them out. For our next question, we are going international. We got a question from Fran from the UK. Take it away, Fran. Hi, Jason. This is Fran. I'm uh, from Italy, but I currently live in Oxford, UK. And I wanted to ask you, um, just in case we're going to have to self-quarantine soon for uh, the coronavirus situation, uh, is a, a turbo trainer uh, for my race bike uh, of any help uh, to prepare um, for an, an ultra race? And uh, also, how you can actually prepare for an ultra uh, with uh, some kind of training on a bike. So basically, substituting the running outside uh, with uh, bike training inside on a turbo trainer, as I don't have a treadmill in my house. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Fran, holy cow, man. First off... I feel for you and your Italian brothers and sisters, I cannot imagine what that country is going through right now. And since you have roots there, although you're in the UK right now, I'm sure you've got family, friends, colleagues that are just living through a kind of hell that I cannot even imagine. So my deepest sympathies uh, go out to, uh, out to you. You've got it pretty hard in the UK as well. Um, and if, my my crystal ball's super fuzzy on this COVID nineteen thing, but we're gonna have communities here that get that go on full down lockdown. That's my that is my um that is my prediction. In fact, it might happen by the time this podcast comes out two days from now. We'll see if that happens. Um, so there are going to be a lot of ultra runners that are thinking about this exact proposition. I've had four of my athletes already talk to me about this, the what if scenario of if they cannot go outside, they can't go outside for exercise. That's one of the restrictions that can very plausibly be passed down by any sort of, uh, by any sort of government state, local, national, whatever. It seems like you're in the, that case with the U.S. right now, and you still want to train for your event, but you've got a bike. And that's what turbo trainer is for those of you listening that are unfamiliar with that term. It's just a stationary trainer that you can put your bike on. And my advice to you is, is you got what you got. You got to accept the situation for what it is. You've got a great tool in a bike in your home that you can absolutely leverage and still gain fitness from. And I would encourage you to use that as much as possible. I know there are a lot of people out there that are running back and forth on their balconies and around the kitchen table. And that's great. If you want to do that as a release and some psychological healing for what's going on, great. Absolutely go and do it. Some people are even putting like dish soap on the floor and running in place that way, great, go ahead and do it. But if you're looking at this through the lens of training for an event that's later on down the year, you would be better served to invest wholeheartedly in this bike and just do it. Just get on the bike, make an effort each and every day to do something. Now, there are a few caveats or a few enhancements, I guess is the better way to put it, a few enhancements that you can make to your indoor riding. The first of which is, is realize that in order for the gains that you, or in order for the improvements that you're trying to make on the bike to translate into running, you have to ride hard. These long, slow intervals, what we would call in the running world, steady state run or even tempo run, if you were to translate those onto the bike, they're, re they're really not hard enough to make much of a difference for a highly trained runner. For an untrained runner, anything's gonna make a difference. But those long, slow types of intervals probably aren't gonna make that much of a difference. So you'd be well served to completely sell out and just do high intensity intervals. Three minutes on, three minutes off. Two minutes on, two minutes off. Five minutes on, on five minutes off. Times however many it takes you to get to 20 to 30 minutes. Do that two times per week 
and then intersperse those workouts with recovery rides of 60 minutes and or endurance rides of, you know, maybe even up to two or three hours. But what I would really encourage athletes to do if they are stuck on a bike is to leverage the high intensity stuff as much as possible. That is honestly the linchpin and the whole thing. Leverage the high intensity stuff as much as you absolutely can. And you can make good cardiovascular gains and they can translate into your running. What you'll be missing is the musculoskeletal side. You could augment that with some strength training at home. And I would still encourage the heavy strength training or the heavy type of strength training that, uh, uh, that I mentioned um, uh, in in one of the previous questions, you can if you if you seriously are stuck inside, some step up step downs for twenty or thirty minutes can definitely stave some things off. I am not the I'm probably the last person that would recommend that for anybody that can run outside. But in your specific case, you can definitely uh, like augment or add on the cycling with some 20, 30 minutes of just stepping up a step and then stepping down and up and down and up and down and up and down. That wouldn't be a bad thing either. But use the intensity on the bike. Try to squeak out as many cardiovascular gains as you can with high intensity intervals as hard as you can. Three minutes on, three minutes off time six, some sort of combination like that. I really feel for you, man. Holy cow. The world is a much different place. Okay. That was it for the questions. I got a little bit on the outro. Stick with it all, everybody. We got one more section to go. All right, runners, what did you think? I got a kick out of this. That was one take, believe it or not. No edits. Maybe one small edit because I couldn't get the uh, question up quite quick enough. But anyway, appreciate everybody listening to this episode of the Coopcast. I'm going to do it again. I might actually do this next week. So if you want to submit a question, your best way to do it is just go to the hotline, 719 357 6394-719-357-6394, and it will get read on the air just like these four questions here. I had a really good time with it. If you want me to elaborate on anything that I went over over the course of the last hour, I will absolutely do so. You can also hit me up on Twitter and or Instagram at Jason Coop is the handle. I can take those questions there as well. I really think I'm going to do this next week. I got another, I don't know, dozen or so questions that I'll, that I'll compile from this. And then I'll take any more between now and when I queue up the next podcast uh, for next week. My last plug, my last ad. Listen up, you guys. This is a big one. It's for a diner that is near and dear to my heart. King Chef Diner in Colorado Springs, Colorado has become trail and ultra running renown. Yeah, it's true. Trail and ultra running renown. And you probably don't even know it. If you have seen Zach Miller in front of a gigantic burrito smothered in green chili, that burrito came from King Chef Diner. It's located in downtown Colorado Springs, Colorado, and it is a mecca of fantastic dining food. They are renowned for their green chili specifically. I don't know how they do it. They get Pueblo, they get uh, chilies from Pueblo, Colorado, and somehow the owner Gary has found this perfect recipe that brings out the heat and the salt and the spice and a little bit of habanero in their hot version of the green chili. And it's just perfect. It's perfect on eggs and it's perfect on the burritos that Zach devours. And in addition to that, they've got this really cool, funky menu that has all these crazy psychedelic characters that describe all of the menu items like the grump and the 
thing and Merle scramble. Merle's like this magic magician that sits off to the side of the menu. My favorite menu item is the thing or the thang, as I like to say. And it's these two buttery pieces of thick Texas toast layered on top of that is a huge mountain. And I'm talking huge. It's like two potatoes worth of hash browns, like golden, crispy hash browns. And I have them put sausage and a cheese blend in it with two over easy eggs on top. And honest to God, I have never, ever had a bad egg at this diner. I've been going there 20 years. I've had several hundred eggs from this place. I've never once had a bad egg. And those of you that cook out there, you know how hard that is to do to create perfect eggs time in and time out. Egg cooks make all the money in the restaurant industry because they have to be so precise with their cooking temps. Anyway, I get it with two over eggs, uh, two over easy eggs on top and smothered in this wonderful hot green chili full of Pueblo chilies and habaneros. It is awesome. I know that as mouth-watering as that sounds, not everybody has the capability of making a pilgrimage to Colorado Springs, Colorado to experience the King Chef Diner. People who come to our camps, our coaches that come to our camps, I always make it a point to take them to King Chef. Go ask them. It's freaking awesome. But I know everybody out there is not going to be able to make the pilgrimage. Fortunately, you can experience a little piece of this diner. If you happen to live in Texas, or Colorado, greater state of Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, Kansas, Idaho, or Missouri, you can find their salsa or their green chili at Whole Foods. You can find it at Natural Grocers. You can find it at King Supers. Or you can even find it at Walmart in some of those states. How incredible is that? If you live in any of those states, go to the supermarket. You might not be able to find toilet paper, but I bet you can find green chili from King Chef or salsa from King Chef. Go check it out. If you're really in a bind and you think this, this green chili or the salsa is going to blow your mind as much as I do, go hit them up on the web at cosdiner.com. That's cosdiner.com. That doesn't sound like the right website. Anyway, Google King Chef Diner, Colorado Springs. It's really freaking good. And you can order their salsa or their green chilies and have it shipped to you. I give them away as Christmas presents all the time, every year. I give them my dad. Because my dad lives in New Mexico and he gets all he's all about the green chilies. I give them to my dad. But you can order them, have them shipped to your house. Go support those guys. I love them to death. A lot of Ultra runners here in Colorado Springs, trail runners here in Colorado Springs, military here in Colorado Springs. We're a big military town. And you go in there, you're going to find, not right now, but you go in, you can go in there in any other, you know, non COVID 19 uh, uh, time, and you will find wrestlers from the Olympic Training Center, the ice skaters from the Olympic Training Center the judo athletes from the Olympic trainer training center, the shooters from the Olympic training center, the speed skaters from the Olympic training center. You'll find all these world-class athletes sitting down, mowing down on a big pile of hash browns covered in eggs. Oh, it's so good. Check them out. King chef diner here in Colorado Springs or on the web. That's it for the ads people. Thanks for putting up with it. I hope you guys go and support your Local businesses, your small businesses, the businesses that tie the trail and ultra running community together, whether I mention them on this podcast or not, go seek them out. Go show them some love. Thanks for showing some love to this podcast by listening all the way to the end. Appreciate the heck out of everybody. If you want to have your question read, 719-357-6394, 719-357-6394. That's the hotline for the Coopcast. We will see you all next time. And I really hope I get to see all you guys out on the trails at some point. Peace out.